Hello there, I'm Dee Reddy and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we cover a lot of ground with Nico Marche, Head of Sales at Spendesk. It's a really interesting chat, which delves into his roots in engineering and computer science, what he learned from joining Spendesk a mere three months after its creation, and his sometimes interesting approach to pitching potential investors. We also take a look at how fintech companies like Spendesk are changing the landscape of the financial sector and how, in many respects, they have shifted the balance of power in the relationship between businesses and consumers on one side and banks and financial institutions on the other. If you enjoy my chat with Nico, make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes by subscribing on iTunes, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, over to the studio. Nico, we're delighted to have you as a guest on Inside Intercom today. You're currently the head of sales at Spendesk, but do you want to give us a bit of background on yourself and your role there? Yeah, th- thank you so much for, for having me today, Dee. So today at, at Spendesk, I'm currently like head of sales. So my main missions are about hiring and building the, the sales department on one side. And I also work uh, around like all of the uh, go-to-market strategy. So I spend my time hiring people, developing them on the field mm-hmm. on specific deals, and also working on other growth levers such as packaging, pricing, uh, how to go international, etc. And you have quite an interesting background for a head of sales. You started off in engineering, I believe. Exactly. So um, I was not supposed to do sales at at one point. Mm-hmm. I, I originally did study engineering in France and then went back for my last year at UC Berkeley in Silicon Valley, where I was both working on a computer science master as well as launching my own company with a few friends. As always, uh, it did not uh, work out. So when I came back to France with this entrepreneurial experience, I was thinking, okay, what, where can I apply the skill set I've learned around thinking about problems, uh, problem scoping, thinking about solutions that could help solve this problem. And this is when I happened to meet Rodolphe, who's uh, the CEO at, at Spendesk, and where he convinced me of the mission he, he wanted to go after of helping businesses spend smarter. And so when I met with Rodolphe, what I was found super interesting was that unlike other entrepreneurs, uh, Rodolphe is super at the at the same time, ambitious about his company, but also humble and a, and a great people person. He really fosters innovation, uh, humility, uh, the team player aspect that was important to me, and this is why I decided to uh, to jump in. Yeah, because you joined the company so early in its trajectory. I think you, it was only it had only been set up three months before. Is that right? Correct. So when I joined, we had just an MVP, 10 better customers, no pricing. Uh, it was really like the early days. And and from there, I built with the team all of the go-to-market engine from building the first sales team, uh, then thinking about how to make the organization evolve as we were growing and finding product market fit to where we are today, uh, present on three core markets in Europe, France, UK, and Germany, as well as in other countries such as the Nordics and Spain, with 1,500 customers that we serve. And the challenges have evolved a lot in the past four years. I believe that we did manage to do a good job, and now it's super exciting time where we have we are well-funded, we have a great product, customers that love using it. It's all about how can we carry on on our mission and expand globally in Europe and, and the U.S. 
And that must have been such an exciting time to join the company. And I know, Rodolphe, you had a great relationship with and that's part of what brought you there. But you've kind of managed to do some pretty interesting things during that period. I know you once jumped in a taxi with some potential investors. Is that right? Yeah, correct. In fact, I, I met with uh, Stan Masueras mm-hmm. and, and Des Trainor, sales director and one of the co-founders of Intercom in Paris. And I think at first, when you have no brand, just a working product, only a handful of customers, you really have to find any opportunity to get your name out there. And hopefully the traffic is very bad in Paris. So what was supposed <laughs> to be a, a 10 minute taxi journey happened to last like a half an hour to, to an hour. And this enabled me to, to present where we were, the vision we had, even though it was still in these early days and where I managed like to get some very interesting feedback from, from the people that, that built Intercom. That's pretty cool. But thank God you were well prepped because had that hour-long taxi and you'd run out of things to say about after I'm about 10 sure minutes, it would have been pretty <laughs> awkward. Um, so for anybody who might not be aware of Spendex, and I'm sure that's not too many people nowadays, do you want to just tell us briefly about the company and what is the offering and what it is that sets you guys apart? Yeah, definitely. So when we initially started, what we identified is that there was a lot of innovations in the B2C fintech world with uh, new banks in Europe coming out of the ground with a, a new system to send money from peer-to-peer, etc. And when we look at the, at the business world, we identify that there has not been any innovation in the past 20 years. And we know that often innovation in the B2C world tend to translate a few years after into the B2B world. And so we said, how can we take the innovation around payment, integrate it into a piece of software that will make it usable for finance teams and, and modern uh, companies. So mission we have today is really to think about how can we help businesses spend smarter through the technology we provide. Concretely, it's what we provide is a platform, software platform, that provides the right level of control and visibility to the finance team, and that embeds payment methods, so virtual cards for if we have marketing people listening to help you buy a new subscription, do a new digital marketing advertising campaign on LinkedIn. But we also provide like smart plastic cards for people on the ground, the commercial teams, so that they don't have the months or or get their receipts to be reimbursed, but can directly use the company money. What we recently launched is a full invoice management system where you can process an invoice, getting it approved and paid in the same system. What we believe and what we try to do is really think of how can we make a product that not only speaks to the to the finance team, but is made for the end user, so UNID. And it's really with this approach is how can we foster autonomy and, and how can we deliver a B2C-like user experience to the operational people while uh, providing automation, control, a robust uh, piece of software to the finance team. On top of that, we also believe that uh, part of our job at Spendesk is to be considered as a, as a trusted, caring, uh, expert advisor to the finance team so that we can help them make better choices and better decisions when it comes to uh, their finance function. And this is all part of what you guys call spend management. And it strikes me that fintech has really shifted the balance over the past few years of the power relationship between businesses and consumers on one side and banks and financial institutions on the other. Have you found it a challenge to convince businesses that there's huge operational savings to be made by adopting this model? Uh, Definitely. I think it's like 
when you create a product category, it's always the case. You will find people that understand the new way and the opportunity you have to have just one hand-to-hand solution, such as, you know, you intercom guys provide to the clients. Mm-hmm. And often it's just a question of knowing, do we believe that in the future people will tend to behave at work like they behave in their personal life? And if the answer is yes, it means that they will adapt chat system. And this is why uh, Intercom is here, or they will adapt uh, Slack uh, because they are used to use Messenger to communicate with their friends. And if they adapt innovative payment methods in their personal life, they will adapt it in their B2B lives. Uh, But again, as with any product category you try to launch on any market, you have to find people that have the same visions than you have, and that will also help you grow your product. I think the one of the mistakes not to do in the early days is to onboard any type of customer just for the sake of having better customers and, and, and growth. You really have to think of what are the criteria that define a perfect fit for me and what are the end qualification criteria. Could be a size, could be the type of the, the finance person at the other side of the table that will make uh, this company not a good fit for us and that will not give us the right product feedback and that will deter our product roadmap from the vision we have for the for modern companies. You touched on something there that I'd love to to deep dive into a little bit more. Spend management is kind of a category that really didn't exist before. So is it tougher then, especially with something like banking, and especially when you're you're talking to businesses that are quite large, so the potential losses are much bigger than, say, for an individual who just wants to send money to a friend, and there is no frame of reference there. Do you have to be a bit smarter about how you market it? Definitely. I think that's one of the big challenges at Spendesk, is that we we push a new product on the market. And another challenge is also like, we can sell virtually to anyone and everyone at the same time. So you really have to pick your battles mm-hmm. and present what Spendesk is for a company like Intercom, what Spendesk is for a company like Algolia, what Spendesk is for a company like Flixbus, for example. Challenges are really about how can I push my message while still capturing existing intent from the market so they can still surf on a wave to get my early traction, my early growth. And at one point, you're able to to say, yes, uh, we are creating a new product category that's called spend management. And I think it's super important to think early on of what the kind of strategy you have can be a a two-step strategy in our case where we want to to provide a new product, but we know people are not necessarily looking for this product at this moment. So we need to position ourselves in places they are looking for solutions to their problems. On the other side, it's true that when people are not looking for your solution, you have to educate them on the problematics, et cetera. And this is why we spent a lot of time thinking of how can we bring value to the community of CFOs and finance teams so that they consider us as experts and they believe what we believe. This is why we created a a community of CFOs across Europe and the US called CFO Connect, where we do try to provide events, meetups, foster communication between peers so that they can exchange on their common problematics. And so far, this move of creating this community I believe help us get feedback from these people who are customers, help us also show that we are interested in providing as many products as possible to ease the life of the of the finance teams. And I've had a look at CFO Connect. It's really, really nicely done. It's very light touch in terms of content marketing. But you've done other stuff as well, I suppose, that's a little bit more 
you know, like getting the confetti cannon out. You, you've gone to Sastock and offered people free Wi-Fi. You've hidden credit cards around conferences. Do you want to tell us a bit about th- th- those marketing drives and what your thinking was behind them? Yeah, of course. So at one point, you have to use multiple channels, multiple touch points. You have to go after different persona at your, at your uh, ideal customer profiles companies. So we, of course, we use LinkedIn, we use social selling, we use email, we use call, etc. But we also use new tools such as Intercom to gather intent from inbound leads or to gather intent from outbound companies that come back to the website. And we also always thought about how can we have this physical touch point in this digital world. Mm. So, of course, uh, we are doing corporate cards, basically smart cards. So it's a physical product, which happens to be super rare for a software company. So we said, okay, how can we show the product as fast as we can to our clients? And this is why in the, the cadences and when we, we approach a new company, we think of delivering high-value content uh, online, but also shipping a, a, a spendless card with 20 euros, 20 pounds on this so that they can enjoy the experience. And we, we tend to to try to also deliver like hard copy books of ebooks we've done, etc. Really, I think the key here is that most of these ideas I just told you about are mm-hmm. not my own ideas. It's just creating an environment with your sales teams and your customer success team where they feel that they can innovate. As long as they can deliver like their objective, they can think of new ways or alternative ways to cut through the noise. And I think that's super important. It's how can I get my message heard? How can I deliver the right message, the right way to, to the right uh, finance person? So we tried physical cards. We, we even send gifts directly, post gifts directly to our customers. We use the CFO Connect community to invite them, even if they're not interested yet. And in the end, they will come back to us because they have a need and we have a, a product that fits their need. And those kind of mail-outs are almost more traditional marketing means than you might expect from such an innovative fintech company. And did you find that being spun out of a foundry like eFounders was of big benefit to you in terms of getting your name out there? So I think at the start phase, so we, we think of you know building the company in three, three stages, the start, the growth, and, and the scale. We are now more at the, between the growth and the scale mm. based on, on the different markets. But at the start phase, you really need to find out your product market fit. And if under recipe to really do customer discovery and think about how what's the minimum viable product we can ship with a super high quality, help us a lot. Always think of what's the right product to develop for our customers. And it helps us, you know, get this in our DNA and think always about being customer centric. But what does it mean? It's not only about the product you develop, but it's also the service you can put behind it, even though you don't price it. Services, how can you position your sales team so that they are more consultants, are just, you know, hard sellers? How can you position your experience around onboarding, around enjoying your product, your product marketing, so that it's really a help and it brings a lot of value? I think you have to, if you want to be perceived as a, as a valuable partner, to give something, to get something. And I believe if founders help us from day one, uh, get this customer-centric DNA that's super important to cut through the noise when you're bigger and where the only thing that matters is having customers you help reach their outcomes, customers that are happy with the product because they will become the most efficient marketing channel for you. They will 
tell your story. They would discuss with their peers about about the products they use, etc. I'm sure uh, you guys have, at Intercom experience the same as the same journey. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode one is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt or die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. You mentioned actually that you guys are now more between the growth and the scale-up phase. So I know you started out by targeting perhaps smaller businesses, but your core market now seems to be more firmly mid-size. So how are you adapting your sales cycle for that market? Yeah, uh Today, just just to give a sense of of the market we go after, what we've seen on the market is that we can help any companies between twenty ish to a thousand employees. So that's quite a large market, and and we've put our product on this market in a sequence way. So we started low SMBs, companies between twenty to sixty employees, digital first businesses, startups, digital agencies, retail e-commerce platforms, etc. This type of company. And as your product mature and, and as you can focus on your biggest clients that start to outgrow your product, you can develop more features and help you slightly move the rifle up market. And I think that's super important to go up market very slowly so that you can, your organization can adapt. How we've done it is that we started with a model which was purely inside sales with what I call full stack salespeople doing everything from A to Z, so lead generation to closing to a model where, which is more mature now where we have CIT people uh, working on sourcing accounts and reaching accounts, thinking really of the verticals we can go after that are really, whose mission is to, to put the rifle in the right direction. The CIT send over accounts to inbound SDRs and outbound SDRs who are really at the, at the tip of the spear. They are the most in contact person or the most in contact with the market who works with the marketing team, with the growth team we have, with the account executive, and whose job is really to conquer different countries, one market at a time. Then the SDRs and CBDRs send over qualified opportunities to account executive that work with onboarding managers, so people in charge of the implementation, that will then further down the road send over the happy customers to customer success managers whose mission is really to be a partner and help them be successful with the product. 
this type of squad, this is what we scaled cross countries, and this is what enabled us also to to be more precise and and had more value in the sales process. And I believe that you should not adapt a structure if it does not fit your needs. Mm. So if your objective is just to get to 100 customers, you don't need such a complex structure. But if your objective is to go from 100 to 1,000 customers in a specific market, you have to make your organization evolve. You have to make your team structure evolve. You have to make your communication routines evolve. You have to make your compensation system evolve to be aligned with what you want your people to focus on. And I think it's important not to do it too early and not to wait too long when you've decided to go to the next stage. It's hard to know when to push that button, I guess, but you seem to, you guys seem to have really done it at the right time and scaled your team really, really nicely alongside your customers. I'm curious as well about um, how you address new markets. You seem to have a pretty interesting approach on that. Can you tell us a little bit about what you guys have coined city attacks? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think being a company in Europe, it's tough because you have very mm. different markets, different cultures, etc. So change and I think the, the, the move we did in the early days to say, okay, we want to be a global company, which means we want to go after Europe and we want to go after the US. It, it helped us hire super early on. AE is to work on the UK market and the German market. Just to give you some, some figures, among the first four AEs we had, Two of them were focusing on the UK and Germany. And today, more than 50% of our employees do not even speak French. We have like 17 nationalities. And I think the earlier you include this international aspect in your company, the better it is to scale later down the road. So when we think of going international, there are two types of markets. Core markets, where you will need at one point to have foot on the ground, because that's important for service purposes because your customers expect you uh, to be there, etc. And non-core markets that you can manage directly more with an hub approach with everyone at the same place. In France, for example, in the UK, in, in Germany, in Spain, in the Nordics, the approach we have is a three stages approach. We really think of, okay, if we go after the UK, we have to validate a few things. That's what we call the start phase. Start phase, we have a few objectives, which is validating the product market fit, understanding is there a local accounting system we have to integrate with, what's the kind of competitive landscape there is in the UK. Is it the same type of packaging and pricing we may have? Can we get this early traction with 50 to 100 customers? All of these elements we need to get answers to, to be able to get to the next stage, which is the growth stage. At the growth stage, you, make, you need to make a decision on how you're going to scale your market. You need to be able to figure out your distribution channels, your go-to-market model. At this stage, you want to start specializing your people more. You want to start bringing sales leaders and business leaders in the team to be able to be ready to the next stage, which is the scale stage. The scale stage, it's really about you have your product market fit, you have your core team in place, you have an office. It's more about how can I go a deep in terms of industries and not only stay in my kind of early adopters pool that I know perfectly. How can I go from companies like Algolia to companies more like old school consulting firms, mm -hmm. but that I still want to adapt a new modern way of doing finance. So this playbook, this is what we've tested and iterated a few times now because we opened a few, a few markets. This is what we try to use as a tool to guide us and help us make decisions because sometimes it's tough to know when's the right time to push the accelerator and invest more. 
It seems like a really, really shrewd approach. I'm curious where that idea came about. I think it's all about making mistakes and failures, mm. and 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 I think the, the importance of of doing postmortems and and understanding that the pace at which you learn and the pace at which you make mistakes, but also learn from these mistakes, will dictate the rhythm of your company. If you do two times or three times the same mistakes, you're not learning anything. You're not better the next time. So you have two options. You can either hire external expertise to help your business, and you have to do it at at the different stages. But you can also foster a, a culture of communication, of feedback loops between the team. This is how, for example, we came up with unqualification sales criteria, because onboarding manager and customer success manager were identifying some customers for which the rollout did not happen as well as as we scheduled because they were too big. Today we know we can't go after enterprise clients. The product's not ready for this, and also like onboarding manager and customer success manager help us understand what was the perfect type of use cases. So if you have a problem with your subscriptions, if you do a lot of online purchasing, if you have a sales team on the on the on the field, these use cases we know work super well, and this is what feeds the marketing engine and the sales engine, and which as a knowledge we have on the market. And this is how we can also be better at telling stories of our current client base, uh, help our prospect understand their needs, understand what's the right approach is. Is it to take a tool like Spendesk? Is it to, to not take a tool like Spendesk? I think it's super important to have this feedback loop system that will help you build this type of framework we have today. The frameworks that you're talking about internally and with how you address new markets, they seem... I suppose at a surface level to be quite complex, but they work really, really well. Do you think somehow that you are applying your learning from engineering and computer science degrees to how you approach your work? Hopefully we're going after SMBs and, and mm. not enterprise. And and when you, when you think of releasing a product for an SMB market or a mean market, numbers are important. So process is important. It's important to be process-driven, data-driven, customer-centric. I think one of the skills I have is thinking of understanding problems, uh, designing solutions that work, thinking of how this could work at scale in six months, in 12 months, and and being okay breaking the system every six months and, and proposing a new system. And this is, I think, like this scientific method, this scientific approach is important. Building a sales pipeline is like building a hiring pipeline. It's really a process. So it's really about finding the right solution for the problem you want to solve. The city attacks approach does seem very, very clever. But sticking with geography for a moment, there are some unfair assumptions, I think, in the tech community that France, as a location for a startup, has barriers that perhaps other regions don't have between language, corporate tax rate, employment law. So what would you say to people who might think that to prove them wrong? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair point. The, Europe is a tough market because mm. it's it's a sum of different countries, different languages, as you said, uh, different approaches to buying a product. Uh, but I think it's also a great opportunity because, yeah, it forces you to be even more customer-centric, providing the service you provide in the, the right language, etc. I believe we have a huge talent pool in, in France and in Europe when it comes to engineering and product resources. I believe in some cities, we, we start to have a serious pool of people that have done the journey once or twice. Of course, it's small pool compared to what you can have mm-hmm. in the US, but we start to have this next generation of people that have done the journey. And they are 
it's a huge market. You can say whatever you want, but France, Germany, the UK, Southern Europe, Northern UN. It's a very huge market, super digitalized, buying products uh, with a true will to make changes and, and adapt new tools. So I think it's just a big opportunity. You just have to find the right people to scale the different countries. Yeah, and um, I suppose it forces you to get very, very good at localization of your product as well. Definitely. And I believe that being also on the ground, so mm. you mentioned the city attack we have, which is about planning a trip in a, in a specific city, being Munich, Berlin, uh, London, Dublin, ahead in advance and going and seeing your prospects and your clients there is super important. In Europe, you have to think local, you have to see, to think city per city. It's not like just one continent. And I think you have to, 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 to be okay with, if it's profitable for you, of course, to be okay to send people there to meet clients face to face, because this will matter. They will turn uh, and become better clients. They will stay with you longer. They will make more referrals. I think just a, an opportunity. You have to f- figure out a way to turn this constraint into an opportunity. Well, I mean, it's clearly working for you. You've seen some phenomenal results having raised over $60 million in funding in four years. I think most recently in September with a Series B round. What is next on the cards for Spendesk? So our first objective is is always figuring out how we can improve the product, how we can improve the service to to help our customers reach their outcomes, uh, how we can help SMBs from whatever industry think and leverage their spend a smarter way. So that's the first focus is really carry on building the product, investing more in automation, investing more in integration with the other fi- uh, tools from their finance tax. That's one thing. And the mm-hmm. second thing, of course, is how we can get more traction, how we can help companies in specific regions where we are not. And this is why we opened an office in Berlin this summer, one in San Francisco as well this summer. This is why we are going to open an office in London in the next few months. It's really about how we can help these companies where they are. This is the second pillar for which we wanted to get more funding to be able to go faster. And the third one is also about building the organization. How can we hire great people that will help us keep the same culture we have and help us go faster. And all of these three pillars, this is what we think about every day and what we try to improve on uh, if we can. It sounds like a really, really exciting time for you guys. So I'm delighted we got the chance to talk to you at this juncture. But before we let you go, uh, Nico, we'd love to know if there's a business leader that you aspire to in your work. I think there are multiples. I think mm. that's super important when you don't know how to do it, to be super humble and, and have this growth mindset, trying to connect with peers and, and senior executives that can help you avoid the mistakes they may have done. One person that helped me, not directly, I don't know him directly, is really Ray Doffman with his all what he read about blitzscaling, approaching markets, uh, how to, to scale a business. Uh, that was super useful. And his podcast, Master of Scale, is also super useful to understand how to build great organizations at last. I think he, he truly inspires me by the way he shares a lot of the learnings he have. And this is what we try to do at a very humble level, where we also try to share what's happening inside the engine, inside the machine, with spend the stories we publish every month, basically. Brilliant. And lastly, where can people keep up with your work? Again, I think if they are interested in understanding like how we think about product marketing sales, you can just go on our website, spendesk.com and sign up for Spendesk Insider Stories. Otherwise, we tend to share a lot on LinkedIn these days. I bet social selling is super important. 
important. And if you give back to the community, it will trigger a lot of interesting conversations. You will have people that will want to help you. You will have people that relate to what you're doing. Um, so yeah, it's mainly LinkedIn, whole website. And of course, if we have any CFOs listening today, there's CFO Connect for them as well. Of course, CFO Connect. So we are present in a few countries in Europe and definitely hoping to if we can uh, provide value and connect modern finance leaders with uh, their peers. Fantastic. Well, we, we look forward to hearing a lot more from you. Um, thanks a million for your time today, Nico. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. It's always good to, to try to take a step back and identify like the mistakes we could have avoided and, and share a bit of the learnings we, we had. And the many successes too, don't forget. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.